no matter what rank you are, you have a brain and you use it. So even if you're given an order, you have that right to question it and have, the, have that order justified. And if it can't be justified, you have that right to say, no, I'm not going to follow that order. That was like, that's a distinctly Canadian Armed Forces thing. And that got wiped out with COVID. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, today to start off with, I want to talk to you a little bit about lawyers. You know, there's never been a time in my life when I didn't feel privileged to be a lawyer or or proud of that. It is a, a you know a profession of great distinction and great history. And anyone who is a lawyer should understand that they are in a privileged position in society. Having said that, I haven't always been proud of lawyers. And this has never been more true over the past few years. It's important to remember that all of the terrible lockdown orders that we faced all over the world were written by lawyers. All of the censorship laws that we're facing today in Canada were written by lawyers. The vaccine mandates that we're going to talk about today with our guest, written by lawyers. Union policies that discriminate against workers, all written by lawyers. I faced many lawyers in the courts over the past three years who, who have, uh, in fact, tried to prosecute people uh, for standing up for their rights and freedoms. Lawyers kept Tamara Leach in jail. They're prosecuting her right now. So uh, there are many, many reasons to, to, to suspect and to fear that the lawyers in our country are not living up to their professional duty, at least not in the way that I see it. Now, thankfully, there are exceptions. And the lady who's with us today is one of them. Uh, she, I would put her in the same category as our good friend James Kitchen or people like Sean Buckley who are out there uh, presenting the National Citizens Inquiry. And I'll include all the lawyers who are assisting with the National Citizens Inquiry and all the lawyers who are fighting on behalf of Canadians, real Canadians. Uh, and the lady we have on today, I would put squarely within that category. Her name is Catherine Christensen. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Okay, so uh, I think people are going to be really, really interested and intrigued by Catherine and what she's doing. Um, now, she is a lawyer based in St. Albert, uh, but she's developed a very unique law practice, and we're going to talk about that and the people she's helping. But before we go there, as we always do, we're going to frame our discussion with our aphorisms. Uh, the first one is uh, from somebody who um, is probably not well known unless you're uh, an historian. His name is Joseph de Maastre. He famously wrote, every nation has the government it deserves. And uh, this famous comment, it's worth noting, was in a letter written in 1811. Ironically, he was advocating for royal monarchies as the best form of government and not democracy. The next one is from our prime minister, who sadly is very quotable, uh, but is hardly consistent in the things that he says or writes. Uh, he, he said this, my idea of freedom is that we should protect the rights of people to believe what their conscience dictates, but fight equally hard to protect people 
from having the beliefs of others imposed upon them. Would that he meant that. More particular to the people we're going to be talking about today, he said this back in February of 2018. This one's probably very familiar to our guest. In one of his famous town hall meetings, he faced a military veteran. He was asked a question, you know, why are we still fighting certain veteran groups in court? And he said, because they're asking for more than we are able to give right now. Uh, that government had just uh, doled out about $400 million to Bombardier in a bailout, paid $10.5 million to a convicted terrorist and murderer named Omar Khadr, uh, constructed uh, a hockey rink outside of Parliament that cost over $8 million, uh, and on and on and on and on, uh, the money that's spent by this Prime Minister. Now, having said that, uh, by way of segue, um, the Prime Minister and his government, their approach to uh, certain members of our society, important members of our society, specifically the Canadian military, are really the focus of our conversation. So, Catherine, I wonder if we could start off with uh, maybe having you tell us about how you came up with this ingenious idea, this valor law, where you would focus your practice on helping uh, members of our military. Well, uh, I didn't come to law as a young woman. I was actually a registered nurse uh, for over two decades and ended up hurt during an emergency situation and uh, had to pick a new career. So uh, I, I could tell you that every once in a while somebody wins against WCB because I convinced them to pay for law school. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> My own first client, basically. Uh, and while I was in law school, I, I entered law school thinking I would do medical malpractice or something along that line, because that's where, what I knew. Uh, but I came across a military law class uh, offered by the University of Alberta here. And it was taught by two JAG officers. One was a Cold War era JAG officer, and the other was still active duty and had served in Afghanistan at the time with special forces. So I uh, took military law with them. They came to me and said, you need to do something related to the military. Uh, you understand it very well for a civilian. Um, and uh, you've got, you know, you've got what it takes to do something. Well, I certainly wasn't going to be able to go into JAG uh, because I'd wrecked my back in this uh, emergency. So then I got thinking, well, wait a minute. The military lifestyle is not an ordinary one. And uh, on top of the lifestyle they have, they also answer to two separate sets of laws at the same time in Canada. So I thought, wait a minute, they need somebody that can be that voice, that bridge between the civilian and the, the military world. So then I started uh, looking into it. I started volunteering for military groups, uh, such as uh, the Valor Place, which offers housing to military and veterans who are undergoing medical treatments that need somewhere to stay. And uh, then ended up articling with a retired light colonel. And uh, his wife also uh, had become a lawyer after she'd left the military and uh, said, well, I'm going to open my practice and I'm only going to represent military and veterans. And I was told I was crazy, <laughs> uh, that there was no need for it, that they didn't, there wasn't anything unique about, about military members or veterans, and that uh, I wouldn't have any business, that I would, that there's, uh, there's no way I would survive. Why were, were they wrong? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so I was called to the bar and I hung my own shingle 
immediately, um, which I'm told you're not, the Law Society wasn't too happy. They were like, no, 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 you need to work with it. No, no, I'm going to do it on my own. Um, the fact that I wasn't uh, 25 made me a little stubborn, I think. <laughs> and uh, as I was setting up my office, my phone was already ringing off the hook. Uh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. And these these people in this group don't trust very easily. Mm-hmm. They've had their trust abused for a long time. Yeah. So I was honored that they would trust me and basically word of mouth. I haven't marketed my law firm since the first maybe six to nine months I did some advertising. After that, it was word of mouth. Yes, the, so, that's the best advertising because that's your clients saying good things about exactly. you. Exactly. Except the ex-wives, they would trash me (laughs) online. And that that was probably my best advertisement because they'd be like, yeah, I want. (laughs) You know, like Abe Lincoln said, you can't please all the people all the time. No, Um, no. I've been told years ago that, you know, 25% of people will love you. 25% will absolutely hate you. The other 50% really don't care. Yeah. uh, So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know how we would fit the woke people into there who are always telling us what to do. I think yeah, the, I didn't, the they don't, don't care, like but they, <laughs> yeah, they don't care about us, but they care yeah. what we're doing. Uh-huh. Um, I, I had the pleasure, actually, because I've uh, worked in, in Cold Lake mm-hmm. uh, for many years of representing many military members, not in the context of military law, but uh, I do appreciate what you say about uh, JAG lawyers. I've, I've, I've known some really, really good ones, really great people mm-hmm. in that role uh, who care very much about, uh, you know, the people in the military and really try to do their best for them. Um, I'm curious about what it was like for them, some of the JAG lawyers. I, we should say we say JAG. It's Judge Advocate General. These are lawyers who work within the military folks. I wonder, Catherine, what was it like for some of the JAG lawyers uh, over the past over the past few years with COVID and the lockdowns, I mean, how were they coping with that? Did they sort of sign on to to the to the government line, or do you know some of them without naming any names who tried to maybe hold back the line and be supportive of people in the military? I uh, I have to tell you, I haven't come across any that openly would defy the whole thing. Uh, except I would have to give exception to the lawyers who. Uh, advise the generals on their briefs to the chief of defense staff. Okay. They did say he didn't have legal grounds to bring in a mandate. Right. That, that, that it, he was, and that's why I don't think they ever wanted it to be challenged in a court. Yeah. Because uh, I, they didn't want to set the precedent that it would they'd lose. But JAG lawyers were consulted by commanding officers after the mandates dropped. Uh, for accommodations, uh, was this a legal order? And across the board, they they backed up the orders, uh, the directives, and uh, recommended people not be accommodated. One so, one one person who did stand up was a member of the military. I wanted to ask you about this: is um, uh, Reverend Major Harold Ristow, who uh, serves mm-hmm. as a chaplain uh, with Canadian Air Forces uh, for eleven years. And um, he echoed some of the concerns that you expressed recently when you testified at the National Citizens Inquiry. I'm going to talk. I'm going to ask you about that. But he said this. He says uh, it's seriously dangerous to force soldiers to ignore their convictions from both a spiritual and psychological perspective. He said that to True North News in a recent interview um, from Kenya, where he's moved to work as a missionary. Would you would you share his concerns about that? Absolutely. So now 
what the Canadian Armed Forces has set as a precedent is you follow orders and you don't question them. Right. And the Canadian Armed Forces were well known, well respected throughout the world for having what they called a strategic corporal. And that is no matter what rank you are, you have a brain and you use it. So even if you're given an order, you have that right to question it and have the, have that order justified. And if it can't be justified, you have that right to say, no, I'm not going to follow that order. That was like, that's a distinctly Canadian Armed Forces thing. And that got wiped out with COVID, in my opinion, because right. they were told you have to. And the chaplains, the chaplains were the ones that tried the hardest to stand up for members. And they got hit hard. Uh, the ones that said, you know, they have they should be accommodated. Their, their religious convictions are sincere uh, and and they're not suddenly religious like two days ago. This is longstanding beliefs. And those chaplains were uh, not treated very well. The, the, the plight of the military members, as bad as it has been for civilian Canadians, the plight of the military is even worse, isn't it? Now, we heard, we've heard the Prime Minister recently say publicly, you know, I didn't force anyone to get vaccinated. Of course, <laughs> the, the internet, <laughs> thankfully we have the internet. Yeah. Um, but on a very, very strict sense of the word, uh, of the definition of force. Mm -hmm. And as you know, as a lawyer, the, the the concept of legal force is much broader than the way that the prime minister is using it. Mm. Um, yes. But for the military, they really were forced, weren't they? they th this was imposed mm -hmm. upon them uh, as a dictate. And and really, they, they were almost used as, uh, I hate to say this and the, uh, describe human beings this way, but they were almost used as, as human guinea pigs. They were. Absolutely. And they were used as human guinea pigs with Moderna, even after Moderna was determined to not be a good choice. Um, and we had one CDS, General Vance, would not bring in a mandate uh, because he uh, it was is, uh, noted as saying, what if this was there something wrong with this and it wipes out my entire military? You're not using my people as as guinea pigs, basically. Uh, and shortly thereafter, he was removed from command. Um, right. So very famously, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it it boggles my mind that they would put a political agenda to make the armed forces the number one example uh, to the Canadian population by having a one hundred percent vaccination rate, come hell or high water. Uh, they very much risked uh, jeopardizing. Canada's national security. I mean, one of our hardest hit units is JTF2, which is our special forces guys. Right. I've talked to several of them um, and they were uh, injured. They, in fact, more have reached out since my NCI appearance. Uh, we've, they were even injured in the field because they were vaccinated in the field. And uh, when we're talking about special forces soldiers being injured in the field, we're talking about a small unit of six men having to get someone injured out of the field into a hospital right from the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I want to, I want to get into this, uh, this big lawsuit that you've started mm -hmm. on behalf of some military members. But before we go there, you said something at the, uh, the national citizens inquiry, and I'm very grateful for this. I, I always enjoy learning from other lawyers, but you said something I didn't know. I want to make sure I had this straight. But you said that uh, constitutionally and historically, the military 
are designed to be exempt from political control by the prime minister, then in fact, mm -hmm. they are the king's military. Right. And that's for a very specific purpose. You want to explain about that? I found this very interesting when you describe this during your testimony. Yeah. It always amazes me that lawyers uh, don't realize this because we swear an oath to the king as well. <laughs> yes. we, serve, we serve his majesty's court. We don't serve the government of Canada. Uh, so our oath is almost identical to the oath for the Canadian Armed Forces. So uh, when they are sworn in, they swear an oath to serve the king and his heirs and successors. And that means that their uh, chief commander is the king. It's not the prime minister. It's not the minister of national defense. It is the king. And in Canada, the governor general stands in for the king, but the king is the ultimate authority at the top. And uh, so their oath is to uphold his majesty's, the king of Canada's country, not uphold the political. Uh, and, and implicit in that is the idea that... Um, if it came down to it, and it's mm -hmm. horrific to think of this, yep. that the king's army could be used to protect us from a corrupt, yes. uh, oppressive government. That's, that's yes. The, the, the king the, has the power right? to to uh, bring in the army, bring in the military to uh, to stop parliament and to uh, stop police forces as well. Right. So there, they do have that ultimate authority. Whether it would be used or not is another question. But okay. the absolute authority. Uh, which I found interesting because when the uh, Chinese balloon was shot down and that was shot down because we honestly didn't have uh, jets and pilots to do it ourselves. That's why the Americans had to do it. Yeah. So when Trudeau comes on the news and says, I gave the order. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and if you did and they followed it, we've got a problem. Right. Uh, because, uh, yeah. Then the idea, the whole idea is to protect the people from the government. Right. So that the military can't be used against us, which is what happened during the trucker convoy. Mm -hmm. They were asked to provide infantry from here in Edmonton. The Princess Patricia's were asked to send soldiers to Ottawa and they refused. Right. Again, an order that yeah. they don't consider lawful, the strategic right. corporal, where they're, it's like, no, we're not raising our rifles to peaceful Canadians. Right. And the government couldn't couldn't make them do it either. <laughs> right. But right. and yet we're starting to see, and this is maybe where, where we get into your lawsuit that you've that you've started on behalf of some military members. Mm -hmm. We're seeing the politicization of our military. Uh, that that uh, you know the prime minister's office and his cabinet are sort of seeing the armed forces as sort of fingers on on the hand as though mm -hmm. uh, just another ministry. Yes, and that's that's not really true, and it's highly problematic in terms of the treatment of our military members. And hence, uh, you started this lawsuit on behalf of four members of the armed forces uh, in court to challenge this vaccine order. So you want right. to start off there and just tell us how that all came about and and maybe uh, elaborate into a fuller discussion of how the suit is going, because I'm sure people watching this are going to be very, very interested to know about it. Right. So uh, as because I had this reputation within the military community in October of 2021, when the first directive came down from the chief of defense staff that uh, it was going to be mandatory vaccination, uh, I had... Uh, some people reach out to me and ask what they could do uh, legally uh, against it. And uh, I had 
I am not a constitutional law lawyer, or I wasn't. I guess I am now. None of none uh, of us were a few years ago. Yeah, uh, and uh, so I, when I was first contacted by a few of them, I, my thought was, well, I don't think we can do much about it, uh, and I was prepared to tell them that there was a Zoom meeting set up, and before I knew it, the Zoom meeting was, you know, over four hundred people were signing up to to have this chat I've, with me. I've been in meetings like that. <laughs> yeah. Many, yeah. We're just like, boom, we had to buy a bigger zoom, <laughs> uh, you know, license and everything. Anyway, uh, just before the meeting though, I started to get the stories okay. and the first part of the stories that I was hearing was they had approached a few other lawyers. Right. And the treatment they had received from those lawyers got my back up as you were saying. There's some some lawyers that make me angry. Now, if I I can diplomatically say to a, a potential client that maybe I don't practice that kind of law, maybe my practice is too busy to take a certain case. There's ways of handling it if you don't want to take a case. That's you know ways for him. They were told, don't come to my office, don't ever call me again. You know, just absolutely shutting them down. And so by the time. By the time some of them reached out to me, they thought they had no rights at all. And they were being told that by their chain of command that you put Shock. the uniform on, you have no rights, and which is not true. But uh then they then they started to tell me their stories. I was hearing about uh women being locked in a room with four men until they'd sign that they wouldn't take a, a lawful order, uh pregnant women who were being treated horribly. Um, even ones who had already been vaccine injured, getting pressured to get the second dose. Uh, yeah, that the stories just started to pour in. And uh, the one of the most horrific stories was some poor kid was being left outside in the wintertime for three months, uh, which and if he had been a prisoner of war, his commanding officer would be charged with a war crime for torture. Wow. So these types of stories were coming in. I was like, okay, I can't, I can't let this go. <laughs> I need to uh, get brushed up on my my law, my constitutional law and my military law real fast and see what I can do. So the first thing that we did was I helped them all with their uh, requests for accommodation. They were given a really tight timeline, like only 10 days or so to get those requests in. I wrote some templates. Uh, that's <laughs> That was the first shot across the bow to the Canadian Armed Forces because when they, reali they realized that this wording was very professional and it was all the same and they were getting it from hundreds of people, they start, that was the first, you know, oh, hold on. Uh, so then the accommodations were being denied. So then the next strategy I had was to try for an injunction Injunctions are so hard to get anyway oh, yeah. on anything. But I thought, you know what, let's try an injunction and see what happens. Uh, I also did it mainly because I wanted to see how the Crown was going to react. I wanted to know what their evidence was, what, right. the, what they were going to rely on. And uh, the injunction hearing turned out beautifully just for that. Uh, it right. worked really, really well. <laughs> Uh, in fact, at one point I had the crown stabbing at the screen at me because I was not presenting the argument she expected me to present right. and uh, she lost her temper a little. Anyway, we didn't get the injunction. Uh, we were told to, that they had to use the grievance process. Now the grievance process is so broken. It right. takes four to 10 years to get a decision before you, were, you can- you were, you were told by the court that that uh, the court had no jurisdiction. Yeah. Deal with yeah. The matter. Yes, this is uh, something very familiar. 
Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, so we get, I get done, we get the decision. I do another Zoom call and I said, okay, now we know where the, where their position is. Now we get to work. Right. And, and a, there's nothing, a group of military smart, resourceful military people that are highly motivated. Great. I have a great team. And, and tough. And tough <laughs> they're, people. They're tough. Yeah. So, uh, and they created their own support group. Uh, which also helped too, because the the mental part of this for them has probably been the most damaging. Right. So uh, I said, okay, they want us to use the grievance system, break it. And they said, what? I said, break it. I want you to grieve everything and don't grieve it in bunches. I want you to grieve every single little thing, break the system so that if I go into court, I can stand up and say, they can't use a grievance system because they can't, it doesn't work. Right. Uh, so we filed within six months, there were 10,000 grievances. <laughs> Sabotage. <laughs> we, we broke it. <laughs> um, and uh, they have actually issued in writing. I have letters in writing saying they cannot handle uh, grievances. They, they, they reached their breaking point that they actually put it in writing that we cannot do any grievances. So, so did that lead you being able to go back to the courts then? Uh, I think so. So the, then we also, uh, uh, the interpretation in Ottawa at the Department of National Defense was that because we'd lost the injunction, we the whole lawsuit was lost. Oh, I see. It, for some reason, I don't know why their JAG didn't tell them it was only an injunction. That's not the whole case. Right. So uh, we went dark, uh, we went deep, and we started pulling ATIPS, uh, which is access to information. Right. Uh, requests and we pulled and we pulled and we pulled until they caught on what we were doing uh, after they got wind that we I had got my hands on the uh, brief from General Kadu to General Air telling him that he couldn't do a mandate uh, then they started to lock down the ATIP system they've they've geared it way down and are trying to delay responding to it so they censored but, it basically yeah they did. Wow. They have uh, very much so. Then they tried to uh, censor uh, General Kadu's briefing note because when we A-tipped it, we got it unredacted, completely unredacted. Mm. Then when they realized I had it, they wanted to redact it. And I'm like, <laughs> The cat's late. out of the bag, folks. Too yeah. late. <laughs> and the, the Federal Court of Appeal just made a decision uh, just here a few weeks ago that if it's kind of been the cat's out of the bag, it's out of the bag. Right. You can't claim privilege after you've already released it. So right. yeah. that I that argument I don't need to make. It's already been made for me. Yeah. I would have thought that <laughs> so, was settled law, but uh yeah. No. Yeah. Well, maybe because we're starting to see more cases like this. So uh the other thing is I came I my strategy is a little bit different because I know our courts are not responding well to COVID cases. Uh, right. You're facing which... we're always facing this presumption. Mm -hmm. uh, this this uh, activation of judicial notice, expansive mm -hmm. definition of judicial notice that uh, there's something called the pandemic and and virtually it, it justifies any any public action, any government action, no matter how offensive it is to individual liberties, no matter the harm it causes to individuals, no matter the harm it causes to society, to businesses, um, you know, there's this 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 presumption in the absence of really any persuasive evidence, 
that um, that anything is justified under Section One of the Charter, mm-hmm. uh, and and you you've been facing this too in your case, I take it. Yes, and uh, I went to the COVID litigators conference in Atlanta, a room full oh, of American. It was fantastic. A room full of American lawyers. There were two Canadian lawyers, including myself there. Uh, They all asked us the same question. What the hell happened to Canada? (laughs) (laughs) And I'd like like to tell you. (laughs) But anyway, um, they're hitting the same thing with a lot of their courts. Uh, This whole judicial notice idea that the government, because the government said it, it's right. And as a lawyer, my back goes up when I hear that. It's just like, I thought, I don't know about what law school taught you, but my constitutional law professor made it very clear about division of powers and that our courts are supposed to be where we can go and challenge our government. They're supposed to be the great levelers. That was the the principle of common law, right? Mm -hmm. It just isn't working out that way right now, is it? Right. Yeah. So um, because of my knowledge of, of the forces and I've been watching them for a while, Uh, And I'd read some articles by some scholars after the sexual abuse stuff was really being discussed, that there was actually an abuse of power going on within the Canadian Armed Forces. Mm -hmm. So uh, my approach is that uh, the mandate is actually a perfect example of how they abuse their power in the chain of command. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly the chief of defense staff thinks he's untouchable. So I thought, okay, so... I am bringing a mass tort of three of 358 people. Uh, it's going to be dropping here very, very shortly uh, within the next month or so. And uh, so yeah. let's, let's talk about this lawsuit uh, in maybe more detail. So use the word tort. And some, yeah. some people might be thinking that's a German name. <laughs> oh, uh, I did until I went to law school. <laughs> okay. Do you want to explain what you mean by a tort and maybe tell us, uh, you know, what, what that is and how how that's being uh, articulated or explained in the form of the lawsuit? And to tell us, uh, you know, is it a class action suit or or, is, or you've got hundreds or thousands of plaintiffs? How have you structured your lawsuit? Well, I've, I've structured it as a mass tort, which is not a common thing in Canada, I've discovered, um, oh. which is basically uh, 358 plaintiffs versus okay. the Crown. Uh, and I did that on purpose because uh, there was some talk about making a class action, but uh, there was concern amongst the plaintiffs that they would do all this work, do all this sacrifice, and then should we win or settle, that gets delight diluted a lot. I see. Okay. Um, and there was some bad, uh, bad taste in their mouth about what happened with the sexual uh, misconduct settlement right because uh it quickly degenerated into hey you want five thousand bucks fill out this piece of paper right um so you know uh, i saw a naked men in the shower so i need five thousand dollars <laughs> so they were they were a little uh they said no we don't want that to happen with this one so it was they decided to do this so a tort is um okay now i i'm gonna shame my court professor in this explanation <laughs> basically a, a fine you're you've asked the court to make a finding of wrongdoing negli- negligence is another one uh this kind of thing and i'm playing with the idea of what's called the tort of pub, of uh, public malfeasance which right. is basically saying you're in a public office and you're abusing the power of that office uh against uh 
people that work for you or people in your constituency. Uh, that's a really rare one in Canada. So um, we're there are other torts. I was I just thinking out loud though. There, there's other torts implicit here too. You could perhaps even assault and battery uh, intention mm -hmm. or intentional yeah. of mental no suffering. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. Uh, no informed consent. Right. For sure. Um, uh, there's a privacy breach. Right. Yeah. Um, and then we can get into some of the constitutional. So you're claiming some charter violations as well. Yeah. yeah right. There's privacy breaches. Uh, they were all required to put their medical information into uh, an unprotected system. And uh, files, uh, people in their chain of command and their coworkers knew medical information that they should never have known. Wow. Um, and the military, I mean, a commanding officer in the military knows more information about the people under him than any civilian employer would ever be allowed to know. Right. But medical information, they have what's a system uh, which is DAG, green, yellow, or red. And if someone gets uh, is about to go for training or deployment, the medical office issues are and medical office, the social worker, the chaplain, they go through this whole screening. And are they dag green? Are they dag yellow? Or are they dag red? So green, they're good to go. Go ahead. They can do whatever they're doing. Yellow, there's something that needs to be corrected. Say, for instance, they haven't had a dental checkup in a year. So they need to make sure their teeth are good before they send them out. That could, And then they can be dag green. Dag red means, no, th this is a no-go for this person for uh, you're not, you can't do it. You can't send them. They don't know why they can't send them. All they know is that it's red. But in this case, uh, the privacy breaches are horrendous. Here in Edmonton, the uh, brigade, brigade commander uh, set up a board uh, that he called it because his, some of his commanding officers were starting to have compassion and looking at granting accommodations. He then took that power out of their hands, even though he didn't have that power under the order, and set up a board of people who were not cleared to have medical information to make the decision on accommodations. So yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about privacy breaches. Oh. Yeah. Exercising authority that uh, one does not have seems to be a uh, uh, a feature and not a bug of people uh, who had power. Uh, yes, yes. In, the, in the context of, and of, then they they promote yeah they promoted him and then took sent him off to the Middle East thinking I can't find him there. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good at finding military members. They're the easiest people to find on the planet. <laughs> yeah, Facebook. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but you know, Catherine, it sounds like this lawsuit uh, is going to have a lot of zeros on it, and it and it mm -hmm. should. But uh, we should emphasize that's not really the reason why your clients are suing this. They're they're really suing as a last resort because they couldn't get justice any other way. And um, when I listened to you uh, talk and and when you testified at the National Citizens Inquiry earlier this month, by the way, folks, you can go watch her testimony. Uh, you can see it in its entirety there. It's brilliant. Uh, but you said you talked about uh, there were some some shocking numbers about mm -hmm. the, the the sheer statistics of how many people in the military have been harmed by the vaccines or had left the military because they wouldn't take the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And you said that really those were the best people in the military. Mm -hmm. That the result, the end result is that we probably don't have 
a functioning force that could defend our borders right now. Yeah. Is, that, is that a absolutely. fair assessment of that? Do you want to I talk about some of those numbers? I'm sure people sure would be just shocked to hear this. Right. So the Canadian Armed Forces ideally should have about 98,000 people capable of, of fighting a war. I mean, that's, let's be honest. That's what our armed forces are for, even though the Depart the Minister of National Defense made a big speech about uh, something very different than what the Canadian Armed Forces are actually for. Yeah, I so dare say she's never been to war. Uh, she got roasted on Twitter really bad. <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, she uh, we should have 98,000. Most times in the past uh, years before COVID, we were hovering around 65 to 70,000. So right. already we're already under undermanned. We all know we're undergunned and under-equipped uh, before this. So we get to those numbers, then COVID comes along and the mandate comes in and we lose three to 5,000 people. And we don't lose people that would be leaving anyway, people that are unfit to fight. We lose our, some of our top people. We're talking fighter jet pilots, uh, specialized helicopter pilots, special forces trained soldiers. Uh, we lose submariners. We lose uh, divers for the Navy. Right. And not you know, because like, of COVID, right. but because of mandates and mm -hmm. because of vaccine harms. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the we are, the vaccine injured, that's going to be in the thousands as well. Uh, I can tell already because uh, I already knew of some of them. But uh, since my appearance at the NCI, they're, they're starting to appear. Uh, and we're getting some suspicious deaths as well. We're just waiting well, they won't release the autopsy reports, but uh, there are some suspicious deaths. Of I have a feeling you're going to get them. I have a feeling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you and I both know as lawyers, there's ways of getting documents that they don't want to find. Although the Surgeon General released that uh, there's some, apparently some sort of glitch in their system. And they seem to have lost a whole bunch of medical records, including vaccination records. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. How convenient. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, we're down to the numbers I'm getting now uh, because I know so many in my practice, I get little bits of information from lots of sources. Uh, we're down to about 40,000 people right now. Wow. We should have close to 40% of what we really need. Mm -hmm. And we, um, is, yeah, is, Western... that part of, is that part of the reason why um, we're sending all of this material over to Europe? Because we don't really have people here who can operated it could it could be that that's how they're going to try and satisfy their nato right uh, obligations right now nato should kick us out or we should diplomatically yeah. leave mr we trump rebuild. certainly was was not shy about <laughs> saying so but you yeah, know and it was it was like 65 to 70 then right but it, it was leaked actually i'm not sure if it was mr trudeau or somebody else in his government uh it was leaked out recently that they really have no intention of meeting their nato obligations <laughs> No, uh, which is which is truly shocking because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just look at you mentioned this Chinese weather balloon situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what if those were Russian planes or, you know, our Chinese fighters? I mean, what would we do mm -hmm. then? I know we have tremendous uh, people in our, mm -hmm. in our Air Force uh, flying the F-18s. I have the pleasure of knowing many of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, wow, without the proper... a whole bunch of them are grounded right now. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> because uh, and, and one wonders, you know. 
uh, what's what is the actual budget that's being devoted to the military? It doesn't seem right. to be a priority with this government, mm -hmm. uh, let alone the protection, the the individual protection. I mean, that's the worst part is the human damage. Mm -hmm. There were there were a few months ago on a Friday afternoon that we had three jets with pilots that could protect our entire country. Incredible. Three, three. Wow. Uh, I've talked to the snipers. We've got three snipers for Western Canada. Now, our snipers are good, but they're not that good. <laughs> so we've, we've talked about this uh, politicization of the military. Um, Catherine, uh, besides the whole uh, vaccine piece, um, have we also lost military people because of the, the sort of woke agenda that's in, that's been imposed upon the military as well? For example, I'm thinking mm -hmm. of the transgender uh, agenda that's been imposed on, on the military. Have we lost the good people there mm -hmm. as well? Yes, the, the woke agenda uh, has very much damaged uh, the military. That was also, already also created by lawyers, folks, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that was already starting to be a problem before the whole COVID thing hit. Um, and it's continuing to be a problem because the what we've got is people that check boxes instead of people who can do the job. Right. And I, I don't care about someone's proclivities in the bedroom. I don't want to know, <laughs> right? but can they do the job? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't have a problem with the woman being in special forces, but can she carry a 250 pound man with his full kit 10 miles over a mountain? Cause that's what they have to do. If she can all the power to her, you know, uh, there's men that can't do that task, but uh, I've always had that position that if, can you do the job? Right. I don't care what, what sex you are, what gender you are, all of that stuff. Can you do it? And, you know, they're, in my opinion, they're trying to recruit the wrong people mm -hmm. because those people are not the ones that want to serve our country. Cause if they were, they'd already be there. Yeah. There's no uh, life like it. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, cause at, at the NCI, I showed a video of, of uh, some of my members of the lawsuit. Yes. And those are the people who that was really stirring that video. Yeah. I mean, highly qualified people, dedicated. I mean, these are people who were full-time career military. Mm -hmm. That was their life. So some of them were multi-generational. Um, they're the ones that walk into recruiting centers and say, sign me up. Mm -hmm. And you talk about this a little bit because um, for people in the military, this, this uh, concept of loyalty is mm -hmm. a very, very deep conviction Mm -hmm. And uh, the overwhelming sense that uh, I've noticed with Canadian workers, is, and I, I testified about this, is a sense of betrayal. Mm -hmm. This must be even worse for military members. I I, rem I recall from your video, um, uh, I'm not sure if it was a brigadier general who was basically vilifying uh, members and almost threatening uh, military members. That, that must be really demoralizing for members uh, of the Canadian Armed Forces. Yeah, and that was General Ayer, actually, uh, the, that was shown. Uh, that's the guy at the top these days who's a not his, he's made no secret of being a liberal. He did as a junior officer. So uh, his position is his appointment was very political. But there's a within the chain of command, there's a trust. There has to be a trust in your chain of command that if they give you an order, there's a reason for it. You're willing to put your life on the line to follow that order. And uh, you have that has to be there, and that is gone in the Canadian Armed Forces. P 
people don't trust the chain of command. So they they don't have their back, so they don't have their back. Uh, that's and that's a tragedy because how can a military we, force function without that? It can't function. Uh, that's you know that's the issue. Not only are we vastly undermanned, but we have people in uniform that uh, are like, well, we saw what you did, and so why should I be loyal to you? Because I, am I next? If I step my foot wrong, do something wrong, am I the next one? And not only that, but the category of release that they used. I mean, a few years ago, it was called a dishonorable release. Uh, they changed it to an honorable release. But that's the category, and everyone in the military knew it, that if you uh, were a drunk that they couldn't rehabilitate, you were given a 5F. Mm-hmm. If you were a drug addict that they couldn't rehabilitate, and they would take a couple of years to try and rehabilitate these people. Then you were released 5F. If you were convicted of sexual assault, you were 5F'd. If you uh, were convicted of domestic violence, you received a 5F. So that's what these people were given for a release, a 5F as unsuitable for further service. But in their mind, oh, and the chief of defense staff said they were morally weak. Oh. I mean, the, devastating to these people who have, you know, some of them have 20, 30, 35 years of loyal service with not a single blemish on their record. They've never been in trouble in 35 years. Yeah, to be told, well, you're morally weak and you're not suitable to serve in, in your uniform anymore. Devastating. I started off the show talking about exceptional uh, uh, lawyers, and I hope it doesn't embarrass you. you for me to say I'm, that about I'm flattered. you, um, because you know we we can say bad things about. And I could I could name names of of lawyers lawyers I've known for a long time, who I would say are are asleep. They're not awake to what's going on, mm-hmm. and that's why you're here. That's why I wanted to talk to you. That's why I wanted to showcase you for our audience, is because it's important that people know there are people out there who are principled and who are brave and who care about what's going on in our country and they're willing to speak out and use their acumen and their skills and their legal knowledge to do good. And you are. So uh, bravo. Uh, but I wanted to ask you in the context of the National Citizens Inquiry, when you got the call to do that, you obviously did not hesitate, but why did you think it was so important to add your testimony to that historical record of the National Citizens Inquiry? Well, I happen to have caught some of the uh, Trucker Convoy Commission. And right as it, I was not, uh, I was signing out of it, Preston Manning came on and said that he was going to set up this inquiry. Right. And I bookmarked that <laughs> that YouTube video and I was watching because I was like, I believe in this. I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, and I also provided a platform for my clients. Yes. Because if you are in uniform, you are gagged. You are not allowed to criticize the forces. You're not allowed to criticize the government. And that made all of that was happening completely silenced. They made them perfect group to exploit because they mm-hmm. were silenced. But I'm not in the chain of command. I can talk for them. I can say what I need to say for my clients. Um and I thought, okay, here's a national platform, and uh, let's let the world let's let the world know what they were what are 
chief of defense staff is doing to his own people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it was a great opportunity. Uh, I'm very pleased with how it turned out. Uh, <laughs> I was, And I was flattered by uh, the standing ovation behind the cameras uh, when I was done and the outpouring of people that have reached out to me um, to thank me for doing it. And I, I didn't do it for my own gratification. I did it because I wanted to give a voice to people who up until now have been silenced. Yeah. Well, I was honored to be the lawyer who, who uh, was questioning you and was there to witness your testimony. And uh, I think it's so, so important. And I, I just can't imagine what that meant to all the people uh, whom you represent and also some of the ones you, 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 who are maybe military members who didn't know about you and didn't know that there was somebody out there fighting on their, on their behalf. And that mm-hmm. must be very, must have been very encouraging and hopefully that group will will grow you know i found something uh that i'm sure you've seen catherine it's called a, a veterans bill of rights it carries the seal of the government of canada and it actually says that um military members have the right to be treated with respect dignity fairness and courtesy to take part in discussions that involve you and your family to have someone with you for support when you uh, deal with veteran affairs Receive clear, easy to understand information. Have your privacy protected. Uh, receive benefits and services. What what happened to this Veterans Bill of Rights? Is is it? It's just not worth the paper it's written on. Uh, uh, almost like our own policy? Bill of Rights. <laughs> yeah. Almost like our own charter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it it got completely pushed aside. Um, veterans have been pushing, uh, trying to push back for quite some time, um, and certainly. It, the movement got galvanized by Trudeau's comment of you're asking for more than we can give. Oh, yeah. uh, that was a real, uh, I think it was a, a good wake up call to the veterans community and to a lot of Canadians uh, because everyone assumes that, that veterans affairs takes care of everyone. When you're done your service, you're taken care of in service and you're taken care of when you're out. Uh, but that's a, not happening. Uh, veterans affairs in fact is denying uh, claims for vaccine injury. They're saying it's not service related. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm actually preparing that because there's, again, there's processes that you have to go through with uh, anything related to government administrative law. Uh, right. So they've gone, They've a lot of them have made a first claim and rejected. They're now with the pension of bureau advocates to appeal. And if they lose on appeal, then I'm sitting here ready to go into the federal court to have vaccine injuries identified as a service-related injury that needs to be compensated uh, because I've, I've got guys, uh, I was just talking to one last week. Uh, he was a, a tank mechanic, uh, had a pre-existing condition that was contraindicated for the vaccine, ended up taking the first dose to keep his job, uh, had the reaction that had been predicted would happen. And uh, he is 38 years old and sitting at home on oxygen, has to have physiotherapy in his home because he can't walk for more than two minutes. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. And back turned him down yeah. for compensation. Wow. And he's about to, they're, they're going to do a medical release on him, but that doesn't mean he gets covered by Veterans Affairs. Uh, he was perfectly healthy active in his his job and in his home life 
and that's uh, what you're fighting for. Well, God, yeah, God that's 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 the people that uh, you know. I get off the phone and I have to have a minute or two to breathe. <laughs> okay, well, um, how can I help this guy without uh, you know wanting to, you know, confront someone in person? Put your bag in your office there. <laughs> so this has just been uh, a really illuminating conversation. I knew it would be, and I hope that it has been for everyone who's taken this in. Um, I mentioned to you off the top, uh, Catherine, before we got into this, that we'd have something called a reading list. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking. So um, the book that I've chosen is one that's probably familiar to you um, and to many of the people you represent. Um, it's by a uh, historian uh, named uh, J.L. Granitstein. This book was written about 20 years ago. It's called Who Killed the Canadian Military? It's a 2004 uh, nonfiction book. Granitstein is a Canadian historian and military veteran himself. And this book examines and critiques the dilapidated state of the Canadian military. And bearing in mind, this is this is going back to the late 90s, his research. Uh, it sounds as though things have only gotten worse since then. Uh, Granitstein also argues that a well-funded and well-trained military is necessary given the present international climate. Uh, and that increased military spending is necessary for Canada to survive as a nation. It seems to me uh, somewhat prophetic uh, in in its in its approach. Uh, the second book is by um, a man named uh, Richard uh, Lyons, who's uh, an American poet, and uh, this is called "But by the Chance of War." And here, uh, Mr. Lyons brings his creative talents to an exploration of some of the most vexing and profound questions about war in this imaginative series of epic poems. But by the chance of war is reminiscent of the great Greek and Roman works. Each of the four parts ranges in setting from ancient India to colonial America to battlefields of modern Europe and to a conjectured scene in the contemporary Middle East. So one book of sort of an historical journalistic nature and the other one more artistic, but both focusing on, on, uh, on the great people in our military. So Catherine, throwing over to you, last word on our reading list today. Do you mm -hmm. have a suggestion or two for the people taking in uh, this episode of Grey Matter? Uh, well, I have one that's, uh, I think, is well written and it actually gives you a glimpse into the day in the life of a soldier in a war zone. And, uh, I think it is necessary for people to understand what exactly uh, people sign up for and how they are happy to ex happy to do it. I actually had someone tell me uh, about deployments. They're their Olympics. They train and train and train and train. And then when they get deployed, it's like going to the Olympics for someone in the military. Right. So Christy Blatchford spent 15 days with uh, some of the Patricias in Afghanistan. She was embedded with them and then she wrote a book on it. And I think everyone should read that, especially to honor our Afghanistan vets to really understand what it's like to have been in that, that war zone right. uh, and give an insight into the dedication and the, the exemplary people we have in the Canadian military. I mean, sometimes the bad apples are the ones that get the press, but I got to tell you, I, I, I love my clients. <laughs> In fact, the law society tells me I'm too close to my clients and I should consider representing I, someone else. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> I get the feeling that it, that is, this is not a situation of unrequited love. No. <laughs> uh, the other one, I started, I read this one back in law school and I still love it. And it's called Kill All the Judges. 
<laughs> and it's written by a Canadian author. And it really struck me because this lawyer loses his mind in court one day and runs down uh, the street in Vancouver in his robes. <laughs> so uh, that's I've a had, good I've had dreams reading. like that. I've had nightmares like that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I should say that when I'm bringing a mass tort into federal court uh, that I'm that that's a book I recommend. But I did enjoy it. So uh, that's a, a good one. To, well, uh, well, thank you very much. And it's much. Canadian yes, lawyers. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so. uh, thank you uh, for those selections and also for being with us today. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, uh, thank you for your service to the Canadian military, uh, for being an advocate, for being a champion for them. Uh, I think this is so necessary. And I think that uh, you really are an example to other other members of the profession. And, and I pray that that other members of our profession would follow your example and be of support to people who are being harmed in this country by oppressive government measures, um, not just the military, but all, but there's people from all walks of life in our country who are being harmed. And uh, we don't have enough lawyers like you to fight the, the good fight. So sincerely, thank you for doing that. And uh, thank you for being our special guest here today on matter and best of luck with that lawsuit i i would really like you to come back sometime in the future and update it as uh, as to its progress mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be happy to do that uh i have another lawsuit that uh the, the chief counsel for the department of justice to quote him if you, th- you if you and your client think going to the media is going to help you you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> did that bother you yeah that sounds <laughs> let, like let i double do dog dare you something like that yeah <laughs> Gotcha. gotcha. So, but uh, so you're no, going to you. the media. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. What reporters, can I get on the phone? Uh, but uh, no, thank you for having me. Uh, it's my biggest honor to uh, be trusted to stand for the people. Uh, there's, it looks like there's nothing behind me, but that soldier statue uh, represents hundreds of people that uh, put their faith in me. And we're going to do our best to, to challenge our government and hold people accountable. Well, Godspeed, Casper. Thanks again for being with us today. Okay. Thank you very much.